0: We'll <laughs> <laughs> be
1: Kialdfano, is anyone out there? Can anyone hear me? Just Grant. That's cool. Okay, quick today, I listen for you. When I say Kialda, you say Kialda. Okay, (laughs) Kialda. Fun. Okay. Um, we're starting with a song called "Glorified." The first line says, Lord, I come into your holy place. Uh, and I was just reading um, where this is founded in the scriptures just before in Ephesians, chapter three, I think. Um, and it says, by faith, um, we can come boldly into his presence. And I was just reading a little footnote in that. And it just says, like on, on, the, on the our faith thing, where it says, by faith, we come into his presence. It says, or by the faithfulness of Jesus. And I'm, like, tripped out by that because, yes, it's about our faith, but when we don't have faith, like, He, he has faith enough for us too. So if you, if you don't feel like you've got faith to come into His presence tonight, it's all good. He's got faith. He's faithful. Um, so, yeah, we're going to sing that together. So let's stand. Let's engage together. Let's, let's not only sing it, but let's pray it. Um, Lord, I come into your holy place. We're not we're not singing, um, we're not singing from a place of distance. We're singing from a place of nearness. He's invited us close, right?
2: Lord, I come into your holy place. I stand in awe of your cleansing grace. And who am I that you would care for me? Oh, I glorify the one who died for me. Sing, Lord, I come, Lord, I come. Presence, we come into your presence with one heart, with one voice. Ooh. Into your hands, I commit my life day by day, living sad. Oh mm-hmm. in the West. Hey.
3: tonight and I thank you that you want our hearts. I thank you that you want authentic relationship with each one of us That you want us to journey with you in a way that's natural yet supernatural, in a way is real, without pretense, but is full of hope and full of faith and full of life. And so tonight it's a privilege to give you this time to turn our attention toward you to lift you up, up and honor you as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Holy Spirit, you are most welcome in this place. I ask that tonight you would settle on every person, that every person in this place would know something of your love and your grace and your kindness, something, Lord, of your compassion. And love towards us in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. How are you doing? Fantastic. Why don't you say hello to three or four people and grab a seat. Well, it is great to be here with you. Tonight we are going to have a great night. Ashley Collicant's gonna come and lead us around communion shortly, Pastor Simon's gonna lead us around the Word of God tonight. It'll be a great time, so nice to see you here. Thanks for coming out this evening. If you're visiting, if this is your first or second time, can I encourage you at the end of the meeting to uh, go down to the back table on the way out and just help yourself to one of the white bags that are down there. There's some information about who we are as a church, where we're going, and uh, if we can help you in your journey, we would love to do that. So. Please do that. A couple of things I would like to quickly mention to you. If you've volunteered in the life of the church at all in the last year, we want to say thank you, and we're doing that. uh, When are we doing that? Next Saturday. Next Saturday at 2 p.m. There's these cards on your seat. Here's the deal, though. You need to RSVP for it because there's afternoon tea and stuff, and we want to cater well. If you're going to be there, can you please write your name on the back of this card if you haven't already RSVP'd? pop it either at the hub or in the red box at the doors at the back and as was so graciously put this morning if you don't RSVP don't come I'd say we no food for you it'd be boring but we'd love you to be there so if you volunteered in any way help with anything in the last year we'd really love you to be there to say thank you the other thing is we've got these around at the moment for Christmas which is coming very fast we've got the kids spectacular coming up and then we have the pantomime as well which is going to be outstanding. Did anyone see the pantomime last year? A few. It's outstanding, isn't it? Top quality. And uh, I encourage you to be here. It's on the 15th, 16th, and 17th of December. Bring your friends, your workmates. It's a great time. You will not be disappointed. It'll be outstanding. So has anyone had a birthday this last week or a wedding anniversary? No. People are pointing in a certain direction. Who's it a birthday that's not telling me? Had a birthday. Awesome, eh? Happy birthday. You had a birthday? Any other birthdays, wedding anniversaries? Ah, she's not here. Would you like to deliver a chocolate bar down to Rich? That
4: would be awesome.
3: Fantastic. Well, the season is coming for wedding anniversaries very, very shortly, so that'll be... Rate, and weddings and all those kind of things. Well, tonight we have Ashley Collicutt going to lead us around communion. So Ashley, why don't you come? that will be great. Can you please give her a great big hand as she comes tonight?
5: What's oh, up, guys? What's oh, up, guys? How's it going? <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, this is pretty, like, forward, eh? It's all good. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, wasn't that some beautiful worship, eh? Like just to be reminded that we are God's kids and that we're redeemed and we're set free and we're made whole. It's good stuff, eh? It's real good stuff. Um so sometimes when I come to communion, I'm gonna get it pretty honest with you guys. Sometimes I come and it's a little bit monotonous to me. Sometimes I like the juice. I look forward to the juice. juice is always good. Sometimes the cracker's a bit stale. It's a bit disappointing, a little bit. eh? (laughs) But I mean, it's all good. And if you're really hungry, like sometimes in the morning you're looking forward to lunch and so it will just carry you through the service. Um, If we're getting real honest, sometimes Sundays can be like that to me. (laughs) Um, But it probably shouldn't be like that. Like there's a, these are symbols to remember like the incredible thing jesus did for us where he 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 died and i mean like yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy it's hard to get your head around sometimes it's really hard to get your head around um and so as i was preparing for this I was like, oh, Jesus, what do I talk about? Because, you know, we have that communion message every time and, and it's hard to, to not hear the same thing over and over again because it's the same incredible message and sometimes we can hear it the same and it'll go through one ear and out the other and the juice tastes tastes the same and the cracker tastes the same and and his forgiveness can feel the same and, and we leave the same. Um, and so I was asking, what do I say that's not the same? Um, and... probably will be, but if you receive it with a different heart, it's going to settle differently and you'll leave differently. So, I got the word thankfulness, which is very, like, in time with next week and stuff. Um, And... I was thinking about, like, times I've been super, super, super thankful for, like, major things, and, like, it's not one of those, you know, if you're just like, oh, thanks, bro, that was pretty cool, and then, like, you're all thankful for, like, five minutes, and then, like, the rest of your day is the same, but if something, like, major happens, like, your whole day is different, your whole week's different, everyone's nicer, food tastes better, like, your car runs better, like, it's sunny outside, your hair flicks just, the right way like it's it's really good even though like sometimes the circumstances haven't changed sometimes just everything's just great because you're truly you were in desperation of something and something filled it and you just know how much you needed something and something just happened um so I'm just gonna figure out where I am yeah so this challenged me because I thought how often do I come to communion and it's like such an incredible thing to remember, and especially in like such a corporate space where we celebrate it together, Jesus dying for us, but I, I leave the same, or I look forward to the worship that follows it kind of thing, and so I thought, what should I do differently? How should I respond differently? How should I posture my heart differently before God so I don't leave the same, so I don't enter worship the same, so I don't hope that someone says something like specific that will change my everything. It's, it's how you present yourself towards God kind of thing. So for me, I asked, what can I do? Um, and it was being thankful, but two things specifically. So the first was to refocus So the first part of thankfulness was to refocus, which is to practice adopting a perspective that changes your outlook on life and your experience of life. We have to stop looking at our lives. So I have to stop looking at my life to experience God's thankfulness in my life. If you get it, it's a bit of an oxymoron. Um, So I need to stop looking at me, at my plans, at my worries, at my to-do list, and start looking at Him. We, I, I can't be thankful if I'm not looking at Him in the first place. Yeah. Um, And allow the Holy Spirit to start reshifting your focus. Like, I wish it was an overnight thing. It's not. (laughs) Sometimes you can have a moment where it's just like everything's reshifted, and it's like it's amazing and you experience but often it's it's easy to slip back into that pattern of oh the things, oh the bills, oh the things, the things and um so it's like that sanctification, it's a daily daily walking with God, it's a minutely walking with God sometimes. <laughs> like it's crazy. Um but everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. So everything in our lives is wrapped around him. So when we focus at him, he's got it all anyway. Kind of thing. So that's the first one. Refocus when you're trying to be thankful. Refocus. And the second one, this is the more practical side for all your practical people, um, is aside from thankfulness being a feeling, it also requires an expression. So sometimes it's as simple as being more patient with people or being more ready to be practically, like helpful towards people. But when we're thankful, we can't help but change. So there's something in true thankfulness that changes us, that um, as we refocus, our energy changes, and our focus changes, and we change with it. So thankfulness was always made to be expressed, always. It's the practical part of celebration with each other. It's the part that when we refocus, it's very dependent on the refocusness, Um, follows us out the door and into our week. And it's the part that others around us start to experience God's kingdom. So it's very important. (laughs) Um, So today, as we come to communion, I'm going to read you a little verse, which is very simple. um, And I'll pray. And then I ask that as you drink and eat in your own time, make sure you refocus And ask God how he wants to express your thankfulness. So ask him how he's going to start refocusing your attention. Yeah, cool. So 1 John 4 verse 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So thank you, Father, that that your sacrifice was so great thank you that you loved us so much god thank you that you had so much grace and love for us father that that we're made whole now that we're free now that um that we can live in fullness now god and thank you thank you that we can do that together as your body and help us never to forget that or take it for granted. Amen.
3: I love that. Thankfulness requires refocusing and an expression. It's great, isn't it? Speaking of thankfulness, next Sunday morning, we've got our Thanksgiving celebration. And uh, it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year that we focus really in on saying thank you to God for another year and everything that he's done. We'll follow that with lunch. You are most welcome to be here. We'd love to see you. And uh, there's a cake competition next week as well. We're going to eat the cakes afterwards with lunch. But there's all different categories for your age. So if you're a keen baker, get a cake baked. Make sure it's down here by 9.30 in the morning for the judging. There are prizes, I believe. And uh, we're going to have a great Sunday morning together. So that'll be be great. Love to see you here. Why don't you jump to your feet? We're going to continue in our worship this evening. Thanks, Aaron.
1: is what Ashley has has shared and and sown into us because she's right if, if we do it the same way how can we expect it to the result to be any different Right. same goes with anything the way that we sing the way that we act, eat, love, pray Let's just take a moment here. God, you are so good. You came, not only did you die, but you were raised again. Not only did you take our sins, but you've given us new life. I ask for us as a people, would that truth well up in us? We desire to live fully out of your resurrection life, out of the promise of new and full and good life.
2: to something so beautiful. God Making all You were the word of
3: sing that powerful name again if you're struggling with sickness in your body or you've got problems that you're not sure how to overcome, as we sing that again, can you put it into the hands of Jesus, whatever the problem is your sickness, command it to go out of your body, it's not your sickness actually, people say that all the time it's a sickness trying to come against your body, you command that sickness to go in Jesus name if you need an answer, ask for the Answer, or whatever it is, in Jesus' name. As so we sing, the powerful name of Jesus, when everything is in Him, everything we need in life is in Him.
2: What a powerful name
3: it is—the
2: name of Jesus Christ. What a powerful name it is. My sickness to go away i from gonna
3: that everything is subject to the name of Jesus. That He is the top of the pile. Everything comes under Your name, Lord. We thank You and praise You tonight. In Jesus' name. And part of the reason we're doing this counterculture series is because everything is subject to the name of Jesus. And the kingdom of God is the highest kingdom. We don't get the kingdom that well because we live in a democratic society and everything works different in a kingdom. But the kingdom of God is the ultimate. And our king is the ultimate. And the kingdom of God sounds different. It looks different. It feels different. It behaves different. And it's not because of laws and legislations. It's because the kingdom of God Reflects the nature of the king, and the king is different, and that's what kingdom culture is all about. And so tonight, I want you to give Pastor Simon a big hand as he comes. He's doing number two in our series. Great to
4: have you, at home. Why don't you come? Fantastic. You. Thank you, thank you, Pastor Sheridan. Bless your church. Good evening. Give the music guys a hand, day eh, for leading us in worship. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, music team. Wonderful. Wonderful. And um, just really want to tautoko what Pastor Sheridan is uh, doing here with this countercultural series. Just, just helps us to cement a little bit of where we are. And so I just want to share some thoughts this evening, if that's cool. Um, quite strange these days. We are a technology-savvy culture. Um, it, it, it's just really taken off. And uh, I see little kids today, you know, they've got their iPads, they've got their tablets, and they you know, I can remember when my oldest son was about six and I'd be sitting there and I couldn't get the TV working. Hey, Josiah, come out, The sky isn't working with the dick. And he'd come out and I'd wake him up and he'd come out and he'd get it all working with the remotes and go back in. Thank you. I'd find out he'd got my phone and he'd sorted everything on the... I-, I-, I didn't even know how to really text at that stage. And he would come out and put all the icons on. Look, I've put all your work icons on this page. And, you know, this is at the age of six, you know. I can remember when we bought a a personal computer, and it was huge. It must have been now. What was it? It was something like. uh, Well, my, my father had a computer that was about 500 kilobytes, and it was just crazy. Eh? You know? I mean, apparently, Brett Bennett tells me that 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 what goes into the average game of Angry Birds now is more power than what put the men on the moon back in the late 60s. You know, it's phenomenal. It is, it is phenomenal. But, but for me as a kid, it was quite different. You know, I look at, you know, sort of kids around seven and eight and that's tech savvy and, and they've got their iPods and tablets and, and there's this desire that Apple and Microsoft put before us. But it was very different in 1979 when I was an eight-year-old. Star Wars was in full swing. It had come out in 1977. There you go. It's cardboard. It's cardboard, but it was so cool. And I had this mate, his name was Craig, and and I grew up in the Army, and his dad had been to Singapore, and all the kids who'd been in the Army and been in Singapore had flash toys because toys were a lot cheaper. And he came back, and he had this. He had the Death Star, and he had all the figures. He had like six Stormtroopers. He had Chewbacca. He had uh, Darth Vader, he had Han Solo, he had them all. He had C-3PO and R2-D2. And I got a Star Wars figure too once. R-5-D4. You know R-5-D4? Now of course you don't, because it's a stink figure. That's why it was in the bargain bin. Do you remember, if you remember the original Star Wars, uh, Luke Skywalker and his uncle bought a robot that then blew up, and then they bought r R2- 2 d Yeah, that was R-5-D4 and that's what I had. And here's my mate with all of the figures. He had like, oh, it was amazing. And I remember another guy at school had his Star Wars figures, and, and I always wanted to run. And the truth was, I was never going to have them. I was never going to have any. And so while everyone was at lunch, I snuck back into class, went into his desk, took Han Solo and Chewbacca, took him home. Yes, that's right. My credentials will be handed in after the service, Pastor Sheridan. Um, <laughs> and I took them home, and then all of a sudden people started getting a bit suspicious, and I hid them, and in the end, I had to biff them, you know. But so, what you learn is if you do something wrong, cover it up. Uh, no, that's not what I'm teaching at all. What, what it revealed is, 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 what it revealed was within me there was a brokenness that the Bible talks about as sinfulness. And I wanted what wasn't mine. And I wanted what I couldn't have. And actually, the funny thing was, I can't even remember the kid who, who, whose figures they were. He was a nice kid. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about hurting him. It was that I wanted what he had. And it reveals this brokenness within me. And, and what, hap- what happens, though, is we all get born into this broken world, broken, dealing with broken people, and we just become more sophisticated and advanced in our brokenness. And our sinfulness, and our craving, and in our wanting. And so what happens is we grow up in a world, as we grow, we grow up in a world that ignores God. Pastor Sheridan has already alluded to the notion of the kingdom, but we grow up in a world that denies God, that lives apart from God, a world of ungrace where this childish selfishness grows. And as I say, it becomes more sophisticated and we learn that this is a survival of the fittest world. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and we learn that we're not good-looking enough, and we're not thin enough, and we're not popular enough, and we're not clever enough, and we're never enough, and we learn, we get those messages all the time. None of us measure up to the standards of beauty, even though 2% of the population actually do, and we get these messages all the time, and you've got to fight for your rights, and you've got to look out for number one, and there's no such thing as a free lunch, and everyone has an agenda, everyone has an angle that they're working. And, and and people can be cruel and nasty and mean, and we learn this. And so, if we want to be loved and accepted, we learn that we have to act a certain way because you've got to earn it. It doesn't just come to you free. You have to fit in somehow. So you have to change. And we learn how to function in this world, perfecting our self-centeredness in a world of ungrace. This is the world that many that, that, that we grow up. In. Some of you might go, "Are oh, you being a bit negative?" We'll just go on and just, just, just see how we go. But this path that I described, it leads to a way of life that ignores God, that wants nothing to do with Him or His ways. And the Bible describes that way of life as the world. Okay? We often hear about worldly. There's, there's, the Bible talks about the world. Now, the Bible uses that word the world in, in, in many different ways. He created the world. It's, it's good. There's creation in nature. But there's another way. In which the Bible uses this term. And it describes a society, a way of life that is alienated with God, that doesn't care about God, that doesn't want God on the throne, wants to be on the throne, wants, wants to sit on the throne of life itself. And it's a complex system of ideas and values which governs people who live apart from God. It's a totally different kingdom. Okay? That's what the Bible means when it talks about. World. Now Ashley has already read from John. John, Here are some of John's words. Uh, He says, Don't love the world's ways. Okay? This way of life, the system, the set of values, and a way of thinking that is completely at odds with God. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father, okay? This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about the world. There is a system and a set of values and a way of living on this planet that wants to do things apart from God. So it's a way that's contrary to God and it produces people that are self-centered, selfish do you know i don't know about you but if i want to be selfish i just cruise i have to work at, you know ashley spoke about you know being patient i have to work at that being impatient comes easy hello getting ho-ha and frustrated with people that's easy but being gracious and thinking the best of people and being kind well for that i, I need to go against the grain of what's here Okay, and so there's this this world where, where, where we 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 learn. To, it produces people who are self-centered, wanting their own way, always wanting more, wanting what isn't theirs, obsessed with status and power and wealth and popularity and looking good, always craving, never content, never at peace. Jack London, great author. They said, "Hey, what do you you you, you you've really achieved things as an author? What do you want to tell people who want to?" Who, who want to, you know, become famous and do well. He says, well, that when you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing there. Boris Becker, I had women, a great tennis player. I had women, I had money, it was never enough. Okay, or it promises much, never delivers. There's a way of life that goes like that. And so the world in this sense, does, think about what's going on in Hollywood at the moment. Harvey Weinstein, it comes out that he has been uh, abusing his power, seeking sexual gratification over people, and then all of a sudden there's this deluge of stories pouring out of Hollywood about directors and publicists and actors who have been using people and abusing their power, and they have had enough. Hollywood is an empire that is built on false standards of beauty, that worships celebrity and wealth, and doesn't live according to God's values. And when you walk down that track, that's what you end up with, the world. You might think I'm being anti. No, no, I love people. But there is a culture that that destroys people, okay? And so you look at what's coming out of Hollywood, it's it's perverse. Corey Haim, a child actor who starred in a whole lot of great 80s films, he's come out and named a whole lot of abuse that he suffered as a child actor. Our own Anna Paquin comes out and talks about this victim grooming industry that is Hollywood. Everyone wants to be there. And these guys have power, and they use it to corrupt and twist. And rather than using that power to empower, they overpower and they destroy. That's what happens apart from God. That's what happens apart from God. Oh, actually, I was reading a fascinating article um, on the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, and it was by a guy called Richard Glover. He's he's non-religious. He's not, he's not, not a Christian voice at all, but... If you've been following what's going on in Aussie at the moment, there's been big debates around marriage equality. Now, Australia is probably a culture that is far more overtly evangelical Christian than ours. Okay, we've, been, we've taken quite secular steps here. Aussie has maintained their Christian identity a bit more. But they've had this big uh, debate around marriage equality. And Richard Glover, who's not a Christian, says, man, why do we hate the Christians so much? You know, it's actually over the top. He says, I don't agree with them. I had bad experiences growing up in church. But actually, you know, we, we, you know, yeah, they're anti-abortion. We want to shut them up. But actually, you know, also, they're for the asylum seekers. And they're for human rights. And we just don't listen to them. Why not? And so he's actually saying that, that Christian, Christianity has lost its impact and voice in the culture. And he actually, he, he actually says this, marketplace economics is now the God of our time. And it's priests are Microsoft, Apple, and Google. You can have all the religious iconography around Halloween. That's fine. But God help you if you bring in anything Christian, they'll shout you down. See, there is a way of living that is opposed to the kingdom. And in some ways, Christian behavior has brought that on ourselves. And, you know, we we can look at that. But also, there is a a world system that is opposed to the way of God. And so, there's the way of the world, which is opposed to God, and there is the way of the kingdom, which reflects the nature of God. See, he's the king, but he comes not to be served, but to serve. But he's sovereign, and he does it all for the sake of the Father, who gives it all back to Jesus. And there's sovereignty and power, but it's a, it's a whole different story to what you and I understand from the world around us. Quite amazing. And so we find Paul actually goes on and talks about the world. This is John, but Paul talks about the world. And he says this in Romans 12, verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, Paul, for us, Paul calls for us not to conform to this world, not to let the world shape us. Uh, here's how J.B. Phillips, which is an older sort of contemporary English version, puts it. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let God remold your minds from within. If I listened to the messages that the world pumped at me through my life, I wouldn't be standing here. Too dumb, too useless, too stupid. You see what I'm saying? But, the, but, 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 but what, what we're seeing here in the Bible, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but let God renew us and let us become who we're meant to be i to reflect a little bit more on this verse. Here's another version of it. This is from the Passion Translation. See this, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. See, we're not called to be chameleons just blending in to the culture. We're to stop imitating, but also the, there's a power that this culture exerts and the Message Translation conveys that. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his translation says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. See, what happens with culture is, it's, it's what we assume is normal. So suddenly we see people come over from another culture and their women dress differently and they all act different. and we go, Ooh, oh, that's different, that's weird. Why? Because to us it's not normal. But then they look at us letting our 16 year old daughters go out at night with boys alone, unchaperoned, and they go, what? See, culture what we assume to be normal. And we all grow up, even, even within our families, we grow up with cultures, family cultures. But, but what Paul is saying is, don't be fit into the world's way of doing things. Rather be renewed by God. There is this world, and, and when we talk about, when Pastor Sheridan asks us to be countercultural, that's the culture that we're talking about, the world. There's a, there's a worldly culture that is opposed to the ways of God. And so, scripture calls us, God calls us, to be counter to that. So, culture, see, it speaks about the ideas, the customs, the social behavior of a particular people in society. We understand. See, culture is shared meaning. So, when I go like this to Ray, he understands. Whereas there's some people around the world, you go like that, they won't understand. See, shared meaning, we understand. So, that's culture. Counterculture, though. Here's here's what we're looking at. A counterculture is a way of life and set of attitudes opposed to or at variance with the prevailing social norm. So there's a world system out there that says here's what's important. Stature, status, wealth, beauty. And Christian counterculture goes counter to that culture and says actually our Lord says there's a different way. But the way in which Christians do counterculture is very different depending on who you look at, okay? And so, and and so, I was looking at uh, one author who talks about uh, ways in which Christians across the ages have looked to be countercultural. So, some uh, Gabe Lyons talks about this. Some are countercultural by separatism. Oh, the world is bad. We'll separate from it. And so, you think of the Amish, who, who have who have a great Christian witness, but they separate. They come apart from the world and have nothing to do with it or or we we, we live in a monastic order behind the the walls of our monastery to keep us safe from the corrupt world. That's one way in which Christians have done it. You know, it might come into families where we go, no, you can't go to that dance, or you can't do that. You know, we separate. And the Bible says, separate yourself from the unclean thing. That's part of holiness, yes. But but, But if we take this stance to the culture, it makes it very hard to be a loving witness if you're never around. Okay. Another way in which cultures do it is relevance. Hey, man, I'm cool like you, dog. I'm hip. I do that. I do a joke with my daughter. She goes, "Don't, Dad." She just cringes. You know. But <laughs> she's getting red. But you know. But but we we, we do that too. You know. We we sometimes Christianity works so hard to show that actually no, we're cool too, and we fall into the relevance trap we try so hard to appeal, appeal to outsiders that we end up just imitating culture and we lose that distinction. You know, if we're not careful, then as Christians, we end up caught up in the increasingly bankrupt culture. I think this was your point, Pastor Sheridan, at the end of last week's service when you were sharing after Pastor Christine had shared. And what happens is if we, if we, if we overdo the relevance thing, then we end up being more impacted by culture than impacting, yeah. more influenced than influencing because we lose our distinction and we lose our prophetic voice and our our prophetic stance within the culture because now there's no longer any distinction. Now, Jesus could go to parties, but you better believe he was distinct and different. Now, the religious people of the time looked at him and said, oh, what a sinner, what a... But people wanted to be with him. He could go into all those situations, but he was different. And we'll reflect on that a bit more. Now, the, the third way in which Christians often look to be countercultural is antagonism. So for some Christians, countercultural means being anti-the world, anti-alcohol, anti-drugs, anti-swearing, anti-abortion, anti-this, anti-that. And, so, you know, and there are issues there where we, we need to be aware. Yeah, we, we, we disagree. Brothers and sisters who employ this approach are often known for being great at pointing out the problems of society, but they don't actually necessarily present any practical solutions or alternatives that can actually help people enjoy a better life. Ah, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. Or what should we do? I don't know, but you suck doing that. So they clearly state what they're standing against, but they struggle enunciating what they're standing for. Um, And this this antagonistic counterculture is what I grew up with as a Christian. It's what I saw Growing up, and it put me off a bit. I just want to show you, sort of. Uh, I'm just going to get Ruby up here for a second. If you come up, give her a hand as she comes. <clears throat> so, so Ruby's done a bit of self-defense stuff, and and so when we talk about counter, you know, counter, it comes up, and so counter is to to respond to aggressive speech or aggressive action, and it comes up too obviously in in um, in boxing and martial arts where someone you know, looks to hit you and you counter. I just like it knowing that I am registered in New Zealand as a white belt yellow tip in Taekwondo. <laughs> white belt yellow tip. It's like down in the basement of martial arts. But, but anyway, and so what happens? So if I, if I sort of take that, that martial arts approach, but also just, just as, a, as a, an illustration of, of how it sometimes works, this is the Christianity that I grew up with, the antagonistic way, in which Christians were countercultural, cultural so, um, so a secular thinker might come along and go, don't you believe in science and evolution? How can you say that God created the world? You guys are so lame. And then the Christian counters by going, have I done the right thing? I haven't, sorry, my bad. What was I gonna do? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, my bad. See, I can't even attack properly. It's just, Jesus has so permeated me, I'm not, fi- I'm not a fighter. Not a lover, not a fighter, but I can't do, you know, but here we go. So, so here we go. Come on. Yeah. So, so attacking. So, um, yeah, evolution and science. How can you guys believe God created the world? You're so lame. And the Christian counters by going, nothing comes from nothing. Um, There's design and order in the universe and God can, you know, and so you count, you see this, this, this antagonistic back and forth approach. Yeah. Sometimes it can go even harsher. So the secular thinker goes, you Christians are such a pack of um, uh, judgmental, loveless, repressed hypocrites, and you should just shut up and leave us alone. And then the Christian counters by going, well, you guys are all pack of deviant rebels and you're going to hell anyway, okay? So so you see again, this counter idea. Or in terms of attacking Christians would sometimes, this is for me growing up, Christians would sometimes get in early, a preemptive strike. So before the argument starts. So the Christian would just start by going, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't swear. And, and this was the counterculture I grew up with. Thank you, baby. Hold on. Give her a hand, eh? That's what I think, that, that was the counterculture I grew up with. Where Christian, it was, it was antagonistic. It was this back and forth. It was this battle. And it put me off a bit. It put me off a bit. Um, And I was reading a a writer, a Christian pastor called um, Michael Hidalgo. You see, the trouble is when we're centering our lives on what we're against, if we're always reacting against things, I I think we're missing a point there. And so Michael Hidalgo, he says this, um, he goes on to say, it's easy to define yourself by what you are against. It's figuring out what you are for that presents a real challenge. Think of the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone bows down to the statue, and they stand there, and they go, no, we're not bowing because we are for the Lord. We bow to no one but the Lord. They were for God. So it was clear to see what they were against. But they knew what they were for. See, what if instead of reacting to something or standing against something, we learned to live for something? Hidalgo says, "See, you think of the love of, you think of what Jesus did, what we shared around communion, what we're reflecting on there, the death, the life and death of Christ. When he died on the cross, he showed that God is for us. He is for us. And in standing for us, he showed clearly that he is against the powers and principalities and the evil forces. But he was for us and i and I wonder if there's something in that we've got to know what we stand for. you see because when you when you are truly for something, everyone will know what you're against. just just let that sit there. but when people know what you're for, they'll know what you're against. you might not even have to tell them and so I asked myself this evening as we're Moving on here, what does this look like, learning how to live for something, standing for something better, to avoid being shaped by the world, to avoid imitating the ideas of the world, of the culture unthinkingly, to avoid being self-righteously judgmental and accusatory, not to withdraw from the world, but to somehow be distinct from the world within it. That is, how do I be truly countercultural in a way that honors Jesus and is pleasing to Him? And so that's what I what I want to look at tonight. And so, if you've got your Bibles here, turn to Matthew five thirteen, um, to a passage that really is often this whole teaching of Jesus is around Matthew five and six is often seen as countercultural Christianity. But I just want to look at one verse there, Matthew five thirteen, if you have it there. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, Matthew chapter five verse thirteen. So, reading Matthew five verse thirteen, you are. That's a plural, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Okay, so that's the verse that we're looking at. You are the salt of the earth. And so to understand the meaning of the salt metaphor, we've really got to understand the audience that Jesus was speaking to in the first century bit of a problem, though, if you look at the scholars, they sort of point out about 11 different ways in which salt's value was seen in the ancient world. For example, salt was a preservative. It stopped things from going rotten. You know, remember, in a world without refrigeration, salt was vital for preserving meat and fish. Here's what John Stott says, a great Bible scholar. He says, the world decays like rotten fish or meat, while the church can hinder its decay. So that's the tack that he takes. Um, another thing is that salt is an antiseptic. Imagine that. Big cut and rubbing salt in the wound. You know, that's where the saying comes from. Why? Because it hurts. You know? You want lemon juice, but rubbing salt in the wound. But it's an antiseptic. It can actually uh, kill germs. Uh, RVG Tasker says that the disciples are, quote, to be moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existent. It could also be used as a fertilizer. It was used to kill weeds, and the salt used in the right amount uh, could make soil more fertile, so you could help things to grow. Salt also was a fire catalyst. It was actually used to start fires, and so often you would see uh, big outdoor ovens or kilns were lined with salt in order to help the fuel burn better, get the fire going. And, of course, salt is a great seasoning. Um, It brings out the flavor of food. Have a look here, going back to Job, probably arguably one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. And he says this, here is wisdom for the ages. Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? Amen, Job. Why? Because salt brings out the flavor. Salt brings out the flavor. And I think in light, I think it's this last usage of taste that is probably what Jesus intends because in his teaching, he talks about how it can lose its taste. It, it becomes tasteless. And so there's something about the taste aspect of salt, which is what Jesus is getting at here. Now, if that's what Jesus has in mind, then what does it mean that his disciples are to be salty, that you and I are called to be salty? What does that mean? Well, probably if we go back to the first 12 verses before verse 13, Jesus talks about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who seek and, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and basically those who want to live a life that's godly, that's what it is like to be salty. That's what it is to be salty. If we live out these beatitudes, we will reveal how attractive and beautiful Christ is in a world that holds very different values. So to be salty is to be like Jesus, wherever and whenever. And as we do so, you and I help develop a taste for Jesus in the world around us because the world doesn't see that. The world doesn't see those things. Oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's love and all that, but, 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 but in, that, in that cultural system, It just funnels people a certain way. And so we're developing a taste for Jesus. I remember hearing one guy saying, oh man, you know, you can lead, he was a salesperson. He said, man, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And his boss said, no, no, you've got it wrong. Your job's not to make him drink, it's to make him thirsty. And if you think about that in terms of you and I being salt, are our lives making anyone in our circle thirsty to know more about Jesus? Is there anyone in our life who is curious about Jesus, who's drawn to the gospel because of the way we represent Christ? Our life should exude such a flavor that it creates in others a hunger and thirst for the gospel the good news of Jesus. Now, there's an effort on our parts required for that, but it is also the spirit at work within us and the spirit at work in people's hearts. But, but we've got to walk the righteous path. We've got to live in an obedient way. I love hot, juicy corn on the cob. Anyone else? But you can't just, it's, it's nice as it is, but it's better if you take a big dollop of butter, put it on the plate, take it straight out of the pot, put it on the butter and just start turning it and that butter just soaks in. But it's not finished until you sprinkle salt on that butter and then you start turning that cob, right? And you start turning that cob and then you eat that corn and you go, oh man, that's good corn. None of us ever go, oh man, that's good salt. Because the salt's job is to make the corn nice. And the salt on the fried eggs, its job is to make the eggs nice, to, to bring out the flavor. And I could go on, I, I was going through this last night, I spent a quarter of an hour and on pork. Oh, yeah, and, you know, and, I, was, and I come back, some, it's about Jesus. But Ecclesiastes says, enjoy your food and your drink and the wife of your youth, and that's all I was doing. But the jo- it's not the job of salt to draw attention to itself. You sprinkle salt and then you go, oh man, that soup tastes nice. Oh man, that's good corn. And so we need to sprinkle salt all over our society, all over our schools, all over our workplaces, all over our whanau, amen? We need to be engaged in our culture, this worldly culture. We need to be engaged in it, but not overwhelmed by it, not of it, we are sent into it, we're not of it. And we've been called to penetrate our world, to impact our society for Christ, to raise a hunger for the God flavors of this world. This isn't a guilt trip. This is just who, who we've been called to be. So be it. Be it. I had a mate, when I, I played in the first 15 at Boys High, and his name was Pete. He was all, I found out years later he was a Christian. He was always kind. He was always polite. Uh, he just smiled when he was teased. He was honorable in the way he spoke about his girlfriend among boys who were getting excited about girls. He was always honorable. He was going to marry her. Guys would mock him. He'd just smile. And I remember a cruel, playing a cruel joke on him one day. And uh, he just got up and walked away. I remember playing a game once against a really intimidating side and he took a punch, a crack, a real cracking blow to the jaw and he just turned around and walked away. And, you know, he was never crass. He was never rude. And I was someone who was desperate for the regard of my peers. I was a very insecure 16-year-old guy. But there was something about him that was honorable and noble and left me salivating for a different way to the way I was walking and, and I was learning about what it was to be a man and what it was to be cool, but he 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 there was a different flavor to him. And it just it just left me a bit betwixt and between. As he sprinkled his salt. C. S. Lewis wrote in his letters to an American lady, How little people know who think that holiness is dull when one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. See, so often for us, holiness is equated with self-righteousness and boring. Nah, it's not holiness. Holiness is, be- when, when, you, when you meet holiness, when you come into the presence of holiness, it's beautiful. Earlier this year while, while playing rugby, I, um, I was running the ball. I'd broken about four or five, or it might have been six tackles. It was quite phenomenal actually, actually I was, it was amazing. And running upright, got tackled, went to ground and there was a guy standing over me and I thought, oh, he's gonna help me up. Next thing, he just hits me in the face. This is probably about two months ago. Hits me in the face. Now, I had a temper growing up, angry, angry young man, a lot of anger. And what happened next was just a reaction. What happened next was uh, I hadn't I didn't think about it. It wasn't it wasn't rational. It was just a, a response to what he'd done. I looked up at him and I said, "Bro." And so, punctuated with a lot of expletives, he said to me, "What's your elbows? You, uh, you okay?" And again, I'm getting up, going, "Well, then sort out your technique, and you won't get elbowed in the head. You know, that's part of it, you know." it's part of it, that came later actually but my response at the time was I stood up, I was a lot bigger than him and I just said I said sorry brother, it was an accident it wasn't intentional and then it was just this awkward silence (laughs) and he said you hit me in the face with the elbows, I said it was an accident bro, I didn't mean to and then he just looked away and went oh but it hurt see, just because you become an adult, you don't stop being childish. I'm talking about myself too. He goes, oh, it hurt. I said, sorry, bro. And he went, oh, my apologies. I patted him on the back and we carried on with the game. And I sprinkled salt. Now, you might go, oh, yeah, whatever, that's not much. Now you see, here's the thing. I, I sprinkled salt. Because, you see, I live in a culture where men don't say sorry because it's a sign of weakness. I live in a culture where to be a man is to not be pushed around. I live in a culture where uh, we, we learn, we don't, we, men are taught not to take responsibility for their actions. And so when someone says sorry humbly and walks a path of humility and repentance and uh, reconciliation, that's countercultural. I remember one of the first games I played would have been about 15, 16 kilos ago when I played over here, Maris. And I went, I thought I'm going to hit this guy and attack. tackle, I'm going to hit him. And, and he put his hands up and he missed the ball and it went flying. But I don't know if you've ever seen like a train that's running away or a truck with the handbrakes and it's, you just can't stop. I was 125, I just couldn't stop. And I pulled out at the last second and I wound up hitting him around the ribs. And he turned around and he was going to punch me. And I just said, sorry, bro. I'm middle-aged, I'm unco, I'm overweight, sorry, bro, my bad. And he just looked at me and went, fellas, don't say sorry. It sounds silly, but I just, that was my bad, bro, that was my bad. And he just walked away, he sprinkled salt. Here I was, a 46-year-old man learning from the example of a 16-year-old boy some 30-odd years ago, the beauty of holiness, the power of walking the righteous path, and hopefully sprinkling a bit of salt. See, you and I are to be the spice of divine life in this world, here to bring out the God flavors of this world, and that is what you are. Not what the world says. It's what your father says. Salt. to Be light. And here's the thing. Uh, when we, we kick on with the verse, oh, gee. See, let me tell you why you're here. You're to be the salt. This is the message. You're to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And if you lose your saltiness, or, or if we go back, uh, see, but if the salt has become tasteless, if you lose your saltiness, how will people know godliness? And so if we go back there, uh, here's how the New American says, if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's worthless to be thrown on the garbage. When you and I aren't salty, our witness is worthless. Waste of time because we're no different from the rest of the world. But if we can be salty, and here's the thing, if you mess it up, Sorry. But that's, that's the thing. When you look at the message, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and we'll end up in the garbage. That's what the word of God says. And I don't think this is a salvation thing. It's, talking, it's actually just saying about the impact of our witness. We're not actually impacting the world the way that God would want us to. So we must not let that happen, amen? You see, If we lose our saltiness, then you and I as Christians become a bit of a contradiction in terms. It's like salt-free salted peanuts. Bit of a joke. There I am playing in a rugby team with guys and I say I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and if I don't actually walk in a way that's distinct, bit of a joke. So I need to remember that. And it's quite good because I've got brothers around to remind me of that. So how salty are you at the moment? How is your class, your school different because you're around? How is your team or your club different? How is your workplace different for having you in it? And the reality is because of how precious and amazing you are that the father would send his son to die for you, it's quite special for having you in it. And I find this a constant challenge. It's not about results. It's just about our hearts and walking the righteous path where we stand before Christ. Say, so as I close, we see Jesus takes this everyday metaphor of salt. He'd have seen his mother using it in the kitchen. He'd have seen it was a part of life. And Jesus spoke to this handful of peasants way back in the day. And he referred to them as the salt of the earth so immense and far-reaching would their influence be? The great Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. I got made to atheist, agnostic. I got made to a vehemently anti-Christian. But they love me. And I love them. And we talk. And it is then that the world is made to listen to her message, even though it may hate it at first. So biblical countercultural Christian faith calls for us to be the salt of the earth, bringing the spice of divine life to a world that promises much, but doesn't satisfy. And so it is with you, so it is with me. I am to be salt. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So walk in that. Stand up, step into your divine identity in Christ and take your part on life stage. And then may God be glorified. Amen. As we close, if, if you're going, yeah, that's me, I, I, I want to increase the salt factor. I want, to, I, want, I want to really, really up my game in terms of the saltiness. Just stand where you are and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. This is not good ideas. This is not what I think. These are your words. You have said we are the salt of the earth. And so God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters and I as we stand in response to your word, that by your spirit, you would empower us to bring out the God flavors in the world around us. That through us, you would raise a thirst in the men and women around us, who we know you are the answer to all that they desire. There's so much rubbish that gets in the way, Lord. But Lord, they would love you. The vacuum within their, within their lives and their hearts, Lord, it's, it's there for you. And so Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters, uh, a divine empowering by your spirit, to represent you well, to raise a thirst for you, Lord Jesus, to rest in the fact that they are loved and accepted by you, and so to walk as your children, being salt and being light, and that a world that is broken and bland can be redeemed and saved and come back to you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
3: Fantastic! How about giving Pastor Simon a great weekend? So good, Simon. Thank you. Really great. I think. I think this issue of being counterculture is so paramount in the times that we're living in. So many uh, Christians that I know are into the relevance thing, just trying to blend, just trying to be, trying to be cool, trying to whatever, rather than standing out. And it's not about rules and regulations. It's about who our King is, as Simon said. I don't need to add to it. It's about who our King is. This week, wherever you are. We always say, we forget next Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday in the morning. We're going to follow the 10 a.m. it is, 10 a.m. with lunch and um, also visitors help yourselves to a pack at the back of the auditorium there it would be great. If this is your regular place of coming to church. Thank you for being purposed in your giving. We appreciate it. The giving stations are at your left on the way out. Have a great week.